Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask that you take that little uh, bulletin you got when you came in, and it's got a little blue sheet of paper in it. And uh, man, I was super nice to you this week, okay? This is as nice as I get. I actually wrote uh, something on the paper for you, okay? So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're talking about discretion. So what is discretion? Well, if you've got your sermon notes, I actually wrote it on there for you. So that's because you're about to get it and your hand's going to hurt in a second. But for now, I'm helping you out, okay? So this is what we talked about last week. Discretion is the quality of having or showing discernment or good judgment. And so that's where we began. We began talking about when Jesus says don't judge, what is he talking about? He's talking about discretion. And we walked through so many different passages of Scripture where we saw that we are called as Christians to have good judgment. And the reason being is because not everything's black and white, right? Not everything is black and white. We're, we're called to obey the, the spirit of the law, not just the letter. And you remember the Pharisees, they were all about the letter of the law. But Jesus came and said, listen, you're misinterpreting my father's law. You're getting it wrong. And so how do we understand the heart of what God taught, teaches us in the Bible? Well, we have this thing called discernment or good judgment. Now, here's the problem with judgment, folks. It gets off track in a hurry, doesn't it? It gets off track in a hurry. And that's what Jesus was correcting last week. He says, listen, don't, don't have bad judgment, right? Don't, don't be hypercritical. Don't, don't have this spirit of self-righteous condemnation. Don't allow it to, to morph in, in, into this thing it's not supposed to be. Don't be unloving. And he taught us, taught us that, right? We, we look through verse 1 and 2. Well, this morning, here's we look at verse 3 through 5. He's going to continue to expose which it, what it means to, 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 to have high, uh, hypocritical judgment. But he's also going to start to reveal to us the type of judgment a Christian is supposed to have. And so we're going to get into that this week. And then we'll, we'll finish that type of judgment next week. Okay, so we've got a lot going on all at the same time. Let's read God's word together, if you don't mind. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read verse 1 through 6 as we look at this big umbrella, and then we'll focus in on verse 3 through 5. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. All right. Three things I want to share with you about uh, verse 3 through 5 this morning. Here's the first. I want you to see this morning that the hypocrite looks for the minor faults in others while looking past their own major faults. The hypocrite looks for the minor faults in others while, while looking past their own major faults. And that's really the summation of verse 3 through 5, isn't it? It says, listen, why do you look for this little tiny speck of sawdust in, in your brother's eye? The mean, meanwhile, you've got this huge plank sticking out of yours. And the answer, of course, Jesus tells us is because we are hypocrites. Right? That's what he says. Now, that's a real popular word in our world today, hypocrite. That's why people say they don't come to church because we're all hypocrites. So maybe we should know what a hypocrite is, right? In the Greek, the word hypocrite referred to an actor. It referred to somebody that stood up on a stage and, and, and they played a role. Now, many times, uh, you know, back then all the actors were guys. Sorry, ladies, but they were all men. And, and uh, so they would make these great big masks 
And uh, some of them would, you know, they'd play ladies' roles, and they'd make this mask, and they'd paint it up, and have whatever was on it, and then they would stand there, and they would they would play this role in front of everybody. And of course, behind the mask, they were someone entirely different. They were acting. Now, guys, that's the word picture when we come here. When we come here and we begin talking about this kind of judgment uh, that, that, that is not right, by the way, this kind of judgment that Jesus just condemned in verse 1 and 2, the, the word picture is that when we do that, we're being hypocrites, that, that we're, we're acting literally. And, and so last week we, we learned, you know, listen, we can't be self-righteous and, and, and condemn others. We can't be hypercritical. We can't be unloving. And then this week Jesus even makes it worse. He says, in, in, in fact... You can't do that because when you do, you're hypocritical. And here's why. You're acting like you're doing those things in my name. He says, you're acting. You're acting like you're doing it for holy reasons. But the truth is, you're doing it for those other reasons. The truth is, you're doing it to make yourself feel better, aren't you? And Jesus says, no more of that. That's being hypocritical. That's acting like you're doing it for the kingdom of God. And the truth is, you're doing it to exalt yourself and to make others lower than you. He says, we can't do that. We can't do that. All right? That's the essence of it. That, that, that's what hypocrisy is. It's an act. It's a sham. The hypocrite looks for the minor faults in others while looking past their own major faults. It, it, they, they act like they don't have anything wrong. Right? That's the essence of it. But I want you to look at that for a second because there's more to that first principle. It says the hypocrite looks for the minor faults in others while looking past their own major faults. Notice those two words, minor and major. Now, here's the deal. Popular theology today would tell you that all sins are equal, right? You've heard that before. That's popular theology. All, all sins are equal. They are all the same. And, and in, an, in, in a sense, that's, that's accurate in the fact that all sins separate us from God. And all sins make us an object of God's wrath. Okay? So that's kind of where popular theology gets at. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. All sin separates us from God. And all sin brings about the wrath of God upon us. So, so that's kind of where popular theology gets at. There's only one problem. There's a huge difference between popular theology and biblical theology. All right? Because here's what the Bible would say about sins. Right? The Bible would say, while all sin is serious... And all sin separates us from God. And all sin brings on the wrath of God. All sin does that. The Bible would say, though that is the case, it seems that not every sin is equal in the eyes of God. Now, before you get your stones and throw them my way, all right, let me show you something, okay? Turn with me to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 19. Jesus is going to stand before Pilate here. He is on trial and Pilate's basically saying, hey, hey, Jesus, you should be paying attention to me. He's kind of, Pilate's saying, I'm a big deal. I've, I've got the ability to, to, to rescue you or to crucify you. You should really be paying attention to me. And so Jesus is speaking to Pilate. And in his response to Pilate, he, he says something that's a little disturbing to popular theology. Uh, it should be disturbing to you and me. Uh, it should be. John chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 10. Pilate says to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, verse 11, you'd have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Okay. Then he says this, he says, therefore, the, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. 
Did you catch that? Jesus, Jesus said the Jews who handed you over are guilty of the great sin. They're the ones who, who arrested me. They're the ones who put me on, on, on mock trial. And they're the ones who are crucifying the Son of God. This isn't you, Pilate. This is about God's role in redemptive history. This is God's plan. And, and these are the people that handed me over to you. It's the Jews. And guess what? They have committed the what? Greater sin. Jesus talked about greater sin. Now, you think, well, maybe that's just a New Testament thing. Well, let's look at the Old Testament, okay? Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. If you want to turn there, uh, see if I've got it. Proverbs chapter 6. I believe we're going to start in verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 16. You've probably heard this before. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. There are six things the Lord hates. There are seven that are detestable to him. Ready? He goes through the list. It says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God says, these things are detestable to me. He picks out these these seven things. He says, these things are detestable to me. And then you go back to our passage here in the Sermon on the Mount. And and, and here Jesus says, listen, I tell you, why are you worried about the speck when there's a, a plank in your own eye? Why are you worried about the little when there's this great big thing wrong with you? And again, Jesus is showing, wait a second, wait a second. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yes, I knew it. I knew that I was not as bad as those other people in the pew sitting next to me, right? I, I saw you weren't trying to turn your head, but your eyes, they were like, mm-hmm, I go over there. What? Yep, yep. Or you were thinking, Lord, I'm a saint compared to that person. I saw it. Now, before you go there, let me remind you of a couple of things. One, uh, you remember the Beatitudes? <laughs> you remember those? The Beatitudes where Jesus said, this is what my followers look like. The Beatitudes, right? They're pure in heart and they're meek, right? You you walk through the Beatitudes. You remember how they stepped on our toes because we were like, oh, yeah, wait a second. We're all in the same boat in the Beatitudes. So before you start judging somebody that way, let's start there. Two, if you take this text in context, here's the implication. This is the scary thing, folks. Before you start saying, "Uh uh-huh, my sin's not as bad as yours. Ready? Here's the, this is what the implication of the text seems to be. The implication of the speck in the beam seems to be that the sin of judgment is greater than the sin that somebody else has committed. You see it? Well, it got quiet. Where'd all the amens go? What happened? It's like the air got sucked out of the room. All the, I didn't hear you. Amen, Pastor. Bring it. Preach it. Go on. Where, where, come on. Oh, it was, it was in your head. You wanted to say amen. I wanted... And he... Oh, oh, okay. Hold on, Elvin. I'll come down a little closer. No. Happened in the first service, too. It wasn't just you. See, the problem... The problem, guys, the reason why we don't want to jump up and down and say amen... When we hear that it seems that judgment is actually the greater sin, is that that condemns us. And to that we say, thank you, God, for the word, which is sharper than a double-edged sword. 
You ever feel that way? Sometimes you're walking in the Word and you're, you're grabbing it and you're holding it and you feel like both hands are bleeding. <laughs> Not a whole lot you can do with that, is there? Guys, the hypocrite looks for the minor faults in others while looking past their own major faults. Please don't judge. <laughs> Please don't judge. Don't judge unrightly. Okay, number two. Second thing you need to know about this hypocritical judgment. Number two. The hypocrite is concerned with inspection without introspection. They're concerned with inspection without introspection. That means they're always concerned with checking other people out. And they're never worried about checking themselves out. And you've got to see this picture. I mean, you've just got to see it to get it right. So, so the plank, the Jewish historian Josephus spoke of a plank. And he, he, he re- referred to that as the mast of a sailing ship. It's pretty large. That's a pretty big piece of wood, right? Pretty big piece of wood. So you've got the plank and then the speck. And what was the speck? It was, it was chaff. When they would separate the, the wheat, you know, they would throw it up in the air. And the, and the, and the wheat, being a heavy part, it would fall down. And, and the chaff, kind of the dead grassy stuff, it would just kind of float around in the air, right? Any men like to work with wood? You like saws and, and stuff like that, right? Uh, I, I don't like it, but I do it sometimes because I have to. Um. Because I have to, like, hey, you got to do this. So, um, uh, in fact, Byron helped me build a deck not long ago, and I'm kind of out there and they're, they're sawing things. And I, I, pre- I pretty much just screwed all the things in. But anyway, uh, I, I always, every time I work with wood, I forget to wear safety glasses. You know, they say, we're, we're safe. There's a reason, right? Sawdust, it's not big, but it gets in your eyes. Oh my God, I can't You know, it's not good. Here's, here's, here's the word picture. You got to see it. Okay? So, why are you trying. Now, by the way, you know, the problem with sawdust is you can't go see it in the mirror. Like, it's not, you wash it and you're looking, you can't see the thing. It's not, it's, it's almost, it's difficult to see. It says, why are you Christian? Why are you so consumed with this little tiny speck of sawdust in your brother's eye that you can't see, by the way, it's naked to the eye. Why are you so worried about trying to get that out of his eye when you've got this huge plank out of yours? Now, you've heard that, that, uh, that phrase, it's like the blind leading the blind. Have you ever heard that phrase? Okay, and you can imagine, I mean, that how that could be a little humorous, right? A blind person trying to actually lead a blind person and what that would be like. Uh, There's a story in the Bible about a blind man yelling out for Jesus, right? And the disciples, uh, he hears Jesus coming from a long way off and he's kind of, he says, Jesus, Jesus, Bartimaeus, and he's kind of running towards Jesus. And and that scares me. I'm trying to think of what a blind man running looks like. Okay, that's what a blind leading the blind would be like. Now, the only thing worse than the blind leading the blind would be the blind performing surgery on the blind. Okay? So I want you to get the picture of what this is talking about. The guy that's concerned with inspection without introspection. And I, I saw, I couldn't help it while I was preaching. Right, Travis kept rubbing his eye. I think he's got a little something in it. Travis, why don't you come have a seat? I'm, I'm, I just want to help you out, brother. I'm going to help you out. You just have a seat. Now, could you tilt your head back just a little bit? Just Yeah, yeah. just keep your, keep your eyes open there. I, I've got you. I've got this taken care of. Okay? Just No, no, no. Just leave your head up. That's no problem. I've just I've got this taken. Hold on, let me get ready here for a second. Okay, uh, now Travis, you just stand still, and I'm gonna get this out of your eye, Travis. Okay, wait, where? Now, Travis, are you comfortable with me as a doctor getting something out of your eye right now? Do you do you think I'm gonna get it? Do you think is there any way, Travis? Travis, where's your eye, Travis? Travis. Okay. All right. Now listen. You may think that's a little bit. This is this is odd, isn't it? It's a little. You can go sit down, Travis. I pre- you want to go move the chair because I can't really see very well right now. Uh, 
So here's the plank, man. And this is what Scripture says. The Scripture says that as Christians, uh, that often what we do is, is we're so concerned with, with other people. And we're judging them wrongly in this hypocritical kind of judgment where we're still wearing the mask, acting like everything is okay. Uh, and, and, and yet we're so concerned with them that we're literally walking around with like a two-by-four. This isn't a two-by-four, but it's close. Uh, we're walking around with this huge plank sticking out of our own eye. And, and that's the kind of imagery that it shows. We're so concerned with other people, but we're never actually willing to look in the mirror and see our own sin. That's what it's talking about, okay? Now, now, when we're that way, friends, when we are that way, the Bible says that's hypocrisy. Okay? That's hypocrisy. So let's not do that. Let's not do that. Okay? So what do we do? What kind of judgment does Jesus talk about? And this is, this is where we start to get into it. What should we do? Ready? Number three. The Christian must first address his own sin and then humbly aid his brother. Okay? Anybody, any flyers in the room? Anybody like to fly? Like to, when you're commuting, get on an airplane? Okay? I don't mean like jumping off of buildings, okay? That's not, that's not cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you get on the airplane, you know, there's nothing scarier if you're a first-time flyer and you get on the airplane and they tell you what happens if you crash. That's an awesome way to start a new adventure, right? Okay? I mean, can you, can you really imagine, like, if you're going to driver's ed and your very first lesson is, okay, now if you get in a wreck, right, or, if, you know, you're in Florida, now if you drive into the water, take this hammer and break out the, you know, that would freak me out, I would never drive. But you get on a plane for the very first time and they say, listen, if we happen to have an emergency, please know that there are six exits on the plane. There are two located in the rear, two at the side, and two in the front behind me, Okay. In the case of loss of cabin pressure, please reach in front of you and grab that mask and, and, and stretch it out first as to, to, to secure the line and then place it gently over, over your face and, and, and put the strap behind your head. Now, if you're riding with a child, what do you do? Well, first you secure the mask on yourself and then you place it over your child's face. Now, why do you do that, parents? Here's why, right? Anybody else have children that are a little bit problematic when you're trying to do something crazy with them, Right? The plane's going down. We're all going to die. You think your child's sitting still at this moment? Right? Okay, the mask drops from the... Ah! People are screaming and yelling. Your kid's just going to sit there quietly. And let me place this over you. You're so good. Thank you. It's probably going to be a little difficult to get the mask over your child's head. So here's the deal. Here's the picture. You're fighting with your child and they've lost cabin pressure and there's no oxygen. So what happens to you? How can you help your child now when you're passed out? You can't. So what do you have to do? First, you have to put the mask over your face so you get oxygen, so you can breathe. Because we need oxygen to survive. And once you have oxygen to breathe, you can now help out your child. And let's face it, if they pass out first, that's easier, isn't it? I mean, I've, I know that sounds terrible. I've thought through that process. Maybe I'll let them pass out first and then I'll stick the mask on their head. I'm sorry. Don't act like you haven't thought about it too. All right. Now, get this. That's what we're talking about here. You can't help your child in that instance if you first have not secured the mask on yourself. Brother, you cannot help out your fellow Christian if you first have not addressed the sin in your own life. 
You can't. You're incapable. You're blinded by your own sin. How can you see a speck when your eye is filled up with a plank is what Jesus is saying. And friends, I'm just going to tell you a big part of what he's talking about is judgment. Now, have you ever heard the word testimony? Know what a testimony is? Testimony is when somebody gets up and they brag on God, basically. A testimony is, is, is when someone shares what God has done in their life. And, 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 and I mean, it's a big deal. You know why a testimony is so powerful? A testimony is powerful because when someone overcomes the power and the grasp of sin through the power and the grace of God, it's attractive, isn't it? We, we, if you've ever been in bondage, which the Bible says that we all have and that we all get that way, because even though Jesus has set us free, let's face it, sin is fascinating and sometimes it's fun and we walk back into it and we get stuck in it, even as believers in Jesus. And, and so when somebody has overcome the power of sin and, and the grasp of sin through the power and the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, man, it, it, it's exciting. And you know why it's exciting? Because it lets us know that if they can do it, If they can do it, then we can too. If God has given them deliverance, then God can give me deliverance too. It reminds me that I'm not alone. And not only am I not alone, I'm not the first person to ever struggle with this thing. And I will not be the last person to struggle with this thing. And if God provides deliverance over this thing, then he will provide deliverance in my life as well. It's the power of a testimony. And guys, that's what this passage is talking about. It's saying, listen, before you go take care of your brother, make make sure that this has been taken care of your life. Now, there's some things within this that we need to cover. I'm watching the time. Here's your little mini sermonette in the sermon, okay? There's three things this principle teaches us, right? And here's the first. Number one, it reminds us that Christians are called to help their brothers. We are. Now, Iron sharpens iron. That's what the Bible says. Now, many people have gone to this verse and they said, well, you know what? If, if I don't have every sin in my life taken care of, then how can I ever help out my brother? Well, I, I'm pretty sure a testimony is how God delivered you from an area of sin in your life, right? Now, that's not to say that you're not constantly coming under the, 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 the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God, what can I remove? But, but hear me, right? If you're a gossip and God has freed you from the power of gossip, and you know somebody else in your life that's a God, then you go share with that person. Brother, I used to struggle with that. Maybe it's your anger, right? And you've just got this hot temper that goes off all the time. But there's another man that had that same problem till the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and changed him. And so when you share with somebody, maybe it's your mouth and the things that come out of it. Maybe it's lying. You know, I, I mean, you just go through the list. Maybe it's lust. I mean, you, you can think through what men and women might struggle with. So when somebody has overcome that, when we've overcome that, that, we're the person to talk to them, right? When we've been healed, we're the person to go talk to them about what it looks like to be healed. And so, so you, you have to understand this passage doesn't mean don't ever talk to your brother. That's not what it means. We're actually called to help our brothers and encourage our brothers. We'll talk about how in a second. Number two. Means that there's a prerequisite to helping your brother. This is where we fail. You know what a prerequisite is? It's just something that comes in front of something else, Right. Okay, I remember college. I hated prerequisites in college. Anybody else? And you know why I hated him? The scheduler, the scheduler never called me and asked me what would work best for me. They never did that. And at 18, I thought the world revolved around me. 
And, and, but the office never called and said, Jason, I wonder what schedule would work best for you. Are you ready to take this class? Now, they had a counselor that could have told me what was going to be offered, but that would have required me bowing down to someone else instead of them coming and serving me at the age of 18. Anyway, so, so you, I hated prereqs. I hated them. But you know what? There was always a reason that you had a prereq, wasn't there? The reason you had a prerequisite was because there was something in that class that you were going to learn. There was something in that class that was going to change you so that you would be prepared in that next class, right? The same is true with helping our brothers. If we're going to help our brothers, we have to have learned ourselves so that we can share the knowledge. You follow me? So there's a prerequisite to helping your brother. You need to understand that. And finally, last one. Helping our brother must always be done in humility and love. Here is the difference. Ready? This is the big difference. The difference... Between uh, serving your brother out of hypocrisy, or as Jesus calls it, the hypocrite. Here's the hypocrite's aim. The hypocrite always wants to uncover. You just write that down. The hypocrite always seeks to uncover. That's what they do, right? I mean, I mean you, you, you've, you've been around this before. You ever know somebody like this? You're walking down the street with somebody and, and here comes this super, super uh, sweet couple, right? Or this sweet lady with her kids goes walking past you in the grocery store and you're with a friend. And what does the friend say? Oh, well, you know that she got pregnant before she got married, right? Oh, well, gee, no, I didn't. You see this really sweet couple, you know, sitting in church and they're kind of holding hands, been married for 52 years, you know. And then and then somebody just goes up and whispers in your ear. Well, you know that that's not her first husband. No, no, I didn't. Hey, 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 you know that 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 lady that she's got the secret spaghetti in the church that everybody loves. Do you know that she uses ragu? Did you know that? The hypocrite seeks to uncover they always want to bring it out into the light. That's their goal. Now, why do they want to bring it out into the light? Because when sin is exposed, they feel better about themselves. They take the people that other people think highly of and they, they look for something wrong in their life. They bring it into the light. They expose it. See, they're not that good. Look at me. I'm pretty good. Okay. Now, and Jesus would tell you, by the way, if you like to do this, just get prepared because it's probably coming back at you soon. Okay. So, so here's the difference. That's the hypocrite. Here's how the Christian is supposed to handle it. Ready? It's very different. The Christian isn't called to uncover. The Christian is called to actually do the opposite. Do you, do you know what 1 Peter 4.8 says? Get this. 1 Peter 4.8. It says, love each other deeply. Get this. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's what love does. We spent all last week doing homework, 1 Corinthians 13. I am patient, I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast, I keep no record of wrongs. Why are we doing that? Because we need to be loving. What does the Christian brother do? They go to somebody that's struggling in love. I don't go to them seeking to uncover all of their sin and make it known to every man that's ever walked the face of the planet. But I go to them seeking privately to help them cover their sin with the grace and love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what I seek to do. And it's radically different than anything else. Somebody that comes to you love comes to you with a testimony. They come to you seeking to share what God has done in their life and how God has covered them with God, with his grace. That's what they come to do. They come to you and say, listen, brother, I wanted to tell you a story. And that story is about me. 
There was a time that I struggled with doubt. There was a time that I struggled with fear. There was a time that I struggled. And, you, and they tell you their story. And they talk to you about how God was greater than that sin and that struggle. And how God covered them. And then they call you up in encouragement and say, Brother, I'm here to tell you that if God can do it for a sinner like me, then he can certainly do it for you. They seek to cover. It's completely different, isn't it? It's completely different. Now, if that's the kind, if that's the kind of introspection and inspection, that's the kind of love covering that the gospel calls us to, then what do we need to do as sinners that walk through the doors that struggle with judgment? I'm probably the only one of those, right? Just me? Anybody else? Anybody else walk through the doors this morning struggling as a judge of other people? Come on, really? Don't make me stand in judgment of all you liars, all right? I, I love you. Okay, so we struggle. So we struggle. So what do we do? Three things, okay? And this is for me, and if it's helpful to you, God bless you, right? This is what God's calling me to this week, okay? Number one, take off the mask, okay? Hypocrisy is about an actor standing up on stage, wearing a mask, okay? And, and, and here's our act, Christians. Here's our act. Our act is all in the name of Jesus. That's our act. Oh, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love. That's your act. No, you're not speaking the truth in love. You're tearing somebody down in the name of Jesus so that you can feel better about your sinful self. Okay, that's it. That's that's your act. Take off your mask, brother. Look yourself. By the way, when you're wearing a mask, you know, you put on a mask and you look in the mirror. You're always like, eh, that's a pretty good looking mask, right? You, you, it never really affects you. You take off a mask and you stare yourself in the mirror. All of a sudden you see the man or the woman that God's created you to be. And it's a little, it's a little heavier. Take off your mask. Look at yourself in the mirror and confess, God, I am sinful and I struggle here, and I'm still struggling with my identity in you, Jesus, and because I'm, I'm not firmed up in my identity in Christ, I seek to tear others down so I can feel better about myself. I don't understand that you have made me beautiful the way that you made me, that you've created me in your image, and that's what gives me that's what gives me glory. It's because of you. That's what gives me worth is because of you. And if you don't have worth in Jesus, then you've got nothing. And if you've got nothing, then you're going to seek to pull others down into nothing so that you can feel better about your something. And so this is what we do. we got to take off the mask and we admit to God, God, I'm struggling with this thing. I've been doing it. It's not right. And worst of all, I'm doing it. I'm masquerading in your name. That is bad. That's bad. That's the first step. The second step. Once you get off the mask, you got to pull out the plank. you got to. Now listen, there may be a secret sin or struggle that you've been struggling with, and, and today is the day, right? Today is the day you need to let loose. You need to let go, okay? But I, I think for many of us, that, that plank, I'm just going to be honest, contextually, I think for many of us it's this judgment thing. And we need to come before God right now and say, God, I've been doing it for so long, I almost don't know how to stop. I almost don't know how to stop. I need you, the great physician, to yank this sucker out. I'm done with it. I'm tired of it, okay? We've got to do that. And here's the last one. Ready? Once we've done those two things, then, then we will be ready to go help the people that need help. Iron sharpens iron. Man, I, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, my mom, my mom can't remember how old I am. Any of you other mothers out there like that? 
I was at my mom's yesterday. She was saying, I'm 36. I was like, I love your math, mama. But I think it's just because she doesn't want to be a year older. Uh, anyway. You know, as a 37-year-old man that got saved when he was 20, that wasn't raised in the church, that didn't have a father in the home, I can tell you as a 37-year-old man, I still am looking for examples in life of who to pattern myself after. And I, I, I constantly have to go back to Scripture and try to look at Jesus, but yet I know that Jesus wasn't a father. And what, what I'm missing in my life are godly men that have been fathers and great husbands and have been married for 50 years, but, but it's so rare to find them. It's so rare to find them. But that's one of the things I need. I, I need men in my life that have, have been there and they've been in the pits and, and they've been through the trial and they've been through the struggle and yet they're surviving by the grace of God and that's what I need in my life. What about you? What do you need in your life? Because if you need it in your life, the chances are there's somebody else in this room that has a very similar need in their life. And here's the problem. If we don't stop this junk, we're never going to be able to help each other. And if we can't ever help each other and we can't ever express the love that Jesus has said about Christians, that we would be known by our love for one another, then this world will never know that we've got something different than they have. And so we've got to do something different and I've got to do something different and you've got to do something different. We've got to start instead of exposing one another, we need to start covering one another I pray that that would strike a chord with you and that you would want to be a part of that kind of congregation. A congregation that loves deeply and covers the best that it can because it has been covered itself. I don't stand before you as some mighty man. I stand before you as a sinner that has been covered by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. My garments are white as snow, not because I'm sinless, but because Jesus gave them to me. And no matter what dirt and mire and muck I tread through in those garments, when I go before him and I confess it, he forgives me of that sin and he purifies my garments. I'm made righteous all again. That's the message that I have to take into the world. Is that the same message that you carry out? Friends, let's go love one another. Let's start covering one another. Let's stop trying to uncover everything. Let's look in the mirror and take off the mask and admit that we have struggled with judgment for too long. Let's ask God to remove that plank from us so that we could be the church that God has called us to be and the people that he's called us to be so that this world might know that he is God. Would you pray with me?